Well, good morning. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, along with Dan and Kirk, and uh, glad that you're here today on Christmas Eve. And are you excited, kids? Where are you? Who's excited? Are you staying up all night? Yes. Don't worry, I won't tell your mom. You used to spend up all night. It'll be good. Um, Hey, uh, today's an exciting day as uh, we celebrate the coming of Jesus, his first coming, knowing uh, with great hope that he's coming again and uh, great certainty that he's coming again. And uh, so tonight we have our Christmas Eve service. Uh, we have a, we've planned our Christmas Eve service. We'll see if we have it. Could be you're at it now. Um, but the plan is for 6 p.m. tonight. Hope you can join us and uh, just watch uh, a handful of places. You can watch online, on our website, on Facebook, wherever else. We'll announce all that, what the plans are. And even if there's only a few of us that end up making it, we'll have a good time and it'll be good. Uh, part of our plan tonight, just so you can be prepared, is, as you know, we support a boys' orphanage in India. And we've sent a a few different teams there to visit it, and uh, most recently just this November. And uh, one of the things we do each Christmas Eve is we take an offering during our Christmas Eve service in the evening to benefit those boys and uh, to give them Christmas gifts. We had the opportunity to give them gifts in November, a new change of clothes and shoes and some other things. And so uh, in one sense, we've already given it to them, but in the other sense, you have the opportunity to give and and replenish some of those funds tonight to do the same again next year. And anything above and beyond that uh, will go to meet other needs in the orphanage, like some of the bunks and uh, other things that that we we saw as a need. And uh, yeah, Uh, along those lines, if you support one of the boys, when you come tonight, there are uh, some cards available for you. Uh, You can grab a card of one of the boys Now, you should know that your gift, you're not like adopting this one boy. Your gift goes and it supports all of the boys. And uh, so, but this is a specific boy and name and age that you can pray for by name. And uh, so if you support one of those boys, if you're interested, it's $20 a month. And that $20, 100% of it goes to caring for those boys. And that provides all of their basic needs. Uh, So there's, uh, I think we're supporting at a level of about 45 boys. There's 75 in the orphanage. And uh, so you'll learn more about that tonight as well. And we'll even have a little brochure with more info. And uh, thanks to Susie. Is she here this morning? I don't see her. But Susie Hirschberg put all this info together. So we're grateful for her. All right, I think that was all I needed to say. But I still have more to say, but just, I mean, before we get into the word. (laughs) You know, when when you meet someone new for the first time, what's one of the first questions you ask them? Yeah, who are you? Who's their name? And then what do you ask? What do do you do? What's your job? Meaning... uh, yeah, just tell me about yourself. What, what do you do? It's an easy first question, right? Oh, I'm an engineer. I'm a farmer. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm, I, this, is, this is who I am. This is what I do. Now, have you ever noticed, though, it usually doesn't go any deeper than that? Because we're usually not really interested in, um, not necessarily we're not interested in knowing more, but we're not interested in revealing more of ourselves. It can be a little daunting. What if you were asked, instead of what do you do, why do you do what you do? Anybody get that question during the greeting time this morning? Yeah, why do you do what you do? That's a little deeper, isn't it? In other words, that question is more 
uh, what's your purpose? Why were you born? We've been in a series called More Than Enough. We're looking at uh, the, the ways that Jesus fulfills uniquely some of the, the deepest needs of our being. That God created us with these needs, and Jesus is the fulfillment of those needs. And this morning, we're going to wrap up this series talking about your purpose. Why were you born? In fact, you know, just to draw on that illustration, I'm on the board in our county for Habitat for Humanity, and we had a, a Christmas uh, gathering this week, and a restaurant in Warsaw uh, gave us a free Christmas dinner as a board, and uh, we were there, and, and during that, to pass some of the time, Mickey, who's the director of the organization, she passed around this basket with uh, pieces of paper that everybody had to draw and answer a question as a kind of a get to know you, so we get to know each other's spouses and stuff too. And the first guy, the one that he drew, here was the question he drew. It was, um, when all is said and done, what do you want to be remembered for? That, that was the reaction in the room. It was just this groan, like, oh, these are kind of hard questions. These are, these are deep questions for a get-to-know-you. But you know why we groan? I think because at a heart level, all of us either have or do or will struggle with that question. And if we're honest, there's a lot of times we're not quite sure how to answer it. What are you here for? What, what in the world were you born for? You know, Christmas Eve, we remember the birth and, and the first coming of Jesus Christ. And if, if anyone had a clear purpose for his life, it was Jesus. And if anyone knew that clear purpose for his life, it was Jesus Christ, right? I mean, he lived his life singularly focused on his purpose. It, it influenced all of his decisions. But I wonder, uh, what about you? Do you know why you were born? Do you know? Do you know why you're here? Do you, let's go deeper. Do you believe you even have a purpose? Do these questions make you groan like we did at our Christmas dinner this week? You know, scores of people, especially in America, they know what they do, but they have no idea why they do what they do. They have, they have success, but not significance. Uh, just as a side, in January, starting on January 21st, we're going to start a series talking about this and about your significance, what you are saved for, what God's... So, so if that question's still nagging after today, uh, come back. We're going to dive into this over seven weeks, and hopefully in your 110 group, you're going to study these things together. So again, like I told you last week, get on your 110 leaders. We want to all do this together, right, starting in January. It's going to be all the way down through our kids' ministry. But when you have success but no significance, it leaves kind of a nagging purposelessness, doesn't it, in your heart? How about worse than this? You have no success or significance. Maybe you have success and no significance. Worse than that is no success and no significance. And, and you just come away wondering and struggling with the why question. Why was I born? What am I here? And if you could answer this, it gives you direction. It drives you. See, each of us, we're driven by something, aren't we? We're driven by something. Sometimes it's your career. I want to climb the next level. Sometimes it's your family. You've got an overbearing family, and that drives you. Or you just love your family, and that drives you. Sometimes it's a, another person. Sometimes it's fill, fill in the blank. What is it that drives you? Well, having purpose directs you and drives you. And the reality is you're living for some purpose. Just do you really know the true purpose of why you were born?
Let me, let me tell you, let me give you some good news. And then we're gonna dive into God's word. God absolutely has a purpose for you. Absolutely. He absolutely has a reason you're on this planet. He absolutely cares deeply about you. And not only that, that purpose can be discovered and it can be known. And I would commend to you that it's found in Jesus Christ. So with that, let me pray. And then we're gonna, uh, we're gonna look at some questions we all need to answer. And we're gonna look at Philippians and Romans and uh, see if we can come up with some of those answers. Sound good? All right, let me pray. Uh, Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for your grace to us through him. And uh, thank you, Lord, that uh, through Jesus, you meet each of our deepest needs. Uh, our needs for direction and uh, for peace, and as we'll see this morning, for purpose. Lord, I pray for those who are maybe struggling with that today. Uh, the truth is all of us do to some degree. Would you encourage them today, Holy Spirit, and uh, guide them to know you and to trust you and your purpose for their life? And uh, I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He would love to distract us with all kinds of other reasons to live and uh, other things to pursue. But Jesus, uh, show the truth to us today from your word, I pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I would commend, and actually uh, these questions don't originate with me. Uh, they originate with another pastor, but he, he says that there's three uh, questions that every person has to answer in their life. And the first question is the question of existence. Before we even get to purpose, there's a couple other questions. The first is of existence. Why do you, why do I exist? Do you ever answer that, ask that question? I think a lot of people ask that question. Like, why am I even here? Why do I exist? Well, uh, I would tell you that I believe God created you to love you and for you to love him. But let me, let me explain. Let me start with a couple uh, presuppositions, all right? I'm gonna get philosophical and theological on you. Are you with me? You good with that on Christmas Eve? Kids, are you with me? All right, good. If your parents aren't, give them an elbow, all right? Here's the first thing I would tell you. The first presupposition is that God and God alone is supremely glorious. He's supremely glorious. Now, what do I mean by that? In other words, um, <clears throat> if God is truly God, there is no one and no thing that is more lovely, more good, more, more uh, adorable, more to be desired than him. Not what he does, but him alone. Like he is the most valuable thing in all existence and in all the universe. Because his glory then is the greatest. Glory, by the way, that word uh, really means like a weightiness. Like uh, as I get older and eat more food and after the holidays, I'm more glorious. How about you? It's the weight of his glory, the depth and uh, the profound nature of who he is. He's glorious, right? Uh, and if he is truly most glorious, if I'm right about this, and he's supremely glorious, that nothing else in all creation, in all existence is more glorious than him, then is it, is it a sin for him to be selfish? I don't think so. 
because he's actually, uh, for God to be selfish and self-centered is, is actually right because he is the center of the universe. He is the one who's in the center and in control of all things. So for him to be centered around himself and his glory is actually a very good thing. But when we're selfish and centered around our glory, we rob him of his. See the difference? But, but here's the point. God is supremely glorious. Now here's my second one, right? He's glorious. The second presupposition here is that God is, and we'll get to it, don't worry. God is supremely loving, supremely loving. There is no one and no thing else more loving than God. Do you believe that? God, and in fact, he's described as he is love. While he's supremely glorious and rightly self-centered, he's also supremely loving. There's no one who's more other-centered than he is. Get your mind around that for a second. He has every right to be selfish, but there is no one who loves others more than he does, who cares more about others than he does. In fact, he's Trinity. He's uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For eternity, he's existed in a loving relationship with himself. He's supremely glorious, and he's supremely loving, perfectly loving. So here's my conclusion. And I'm in no way a great philosopher or theologian, but I think I'm right about this. If God is supremely glorious, and if he is supremely loving, what is the most glorious and most loving thing that he could do? I think create. Because if he creates something, what does that creation do? It echoes more of his glory. And if he is uh, really loving and he creates something, what is he doing by creating you and I? He's allowing us to share in loving and adoring his glory. He's sharing himself with us. Did I go too deep for you or are you still with me? And so if he's supremely glorious and supremely loving, the greatest thing he could do is create and specifically create not just all of creation, but create humanity whom he stamped with his image. See, here, here's the deal. Why do you exist? I think there's, there's one reason summed up, or two reasons kind of summed up with one statement. God created you, one, to love you and to bring him glory and to love him back. He created you to love you and for you to love him back. Now, some people say that first statement, that God created you so that he could love you. Boy, that's pretty self-centered, Josh. That puts you right at the center of his, no, 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 it doesn't. That's actually very God-centered because he is supremely loving. He doesn't love you because there's anything lovely about you. He loves you because he himself is so glorious and lovely. It's an expression of his goodness. I think the reason you exist is because God created you to love you and for you to love him. In fact, in Ephesians chapter one, verse four, uh, Paul writes this to the, to the church in Ephesus. He says, even before he made the world, God loved us. Before creation, he loved you. And he chose you, chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. So why do you exist? You exist to be loved by the all-loving, all-glorious God and to love him and honor him in return. That's why you were created. That's why. It was an act of love on a loving God's part. Now, that's great. That's why I exist. But how about this next question of significance? Does my life matter? 
Does my life matter? And I would say absolutely it matters that you are loved. You see it on the sign when you come in, right? You see it on the wall. You see it on your bulletin. Do you, do you know that? It's, it's not just like a warm, feel-good, fuzzy sort of statement. It's actually truth of God's word. You are loved. You're loved by him. You're loved by Jesus and by God's grace. We desire to love you as best we can as well. You may not think you matter to anyone else. You may not think you are loved or lovely to anyone else. And let's just take it to the worst case scenario that you're not. But I don't think that's true. You are loved by God. And he's all loving and all glorious. And he loves you deeper than anyone else could ever possibly love you. In fact, that's why Jesus comes to earth, isn't it? Because of his love for you. That's why God sent his son. God so what the world? What is it? Loved. That he did what? He gave. He gave of himself. He gave his only son. So that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. This isn't a man-centered thing, right? Get, Get that out of your head. This isn't like centered around us. This is centered around God. And his love for you is all about him. So, and think about it. You want proof that you matter to God? What are the things that matter most to you in your life? Think of all your possessions. Think of all your possessions. Just think about it here for a moment. What's the, what's the one, two, or not people, but just possessions right now. Like what's one of the two or three things that matter most to you in your life? You got it? Often, what do you do with that thing? I wonder if, is your name on it? Do you have a little sticker on it that says property of... Or in the settings on your phone, is there like a, if the password fails, if lost, please contact, and your name. Obviously not my phone. You have to give them, don't think through that. Don't say, please call this number if you find my phone. You won't get it back. Um, You put your name on it, right? You ever see Toy Story? What's, What's Andy do with Woody and all his toys? He has Andy scribbled on the bottom of his foot. Do you know that See, you, you mark the things that matter most to you. Do you know that of all the things that God created, humanity is marked by him? You bear his image. Nothing else in creation bears God's image. Not only do you matter to him, you matter more to him than any other created thing. And think about it. There's God and there's creation. And of all this creation, you are valued more and matter more to him than all the rest of it. You're marked with his image. See, the reason for this, your life matters. Let me tell you, you will last, because you bear God's image, you will last forever. To quote squints from the sandlot, forever. You are made to last forever. Every person who's ever existed, from Adam and Eve, to Adolf Hitler, to Ronald Reagan, to Saddam Hussein, to Donald Trump, to you and me, every one of us, we were made to last forever. God's word teaches this. At 2 Corinthians chapter five, in fact, Paul says that we know when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, and he's speaking here to Christians, we'll have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself, not by human hands. 
Because, see, this body that you have that's, that's aching and groaning over time, it's a tent. And one day it's going to come down. But you will last forever. Your body won't, but you will. And you'll be given a new body. And in fact, uh, you'll last forever. And this is both a, a great truth of how much I matter, but it's also a terrifying one. Because then what happens after death? What happens when I last forever? Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ says this, that if you know Jesus, if you put your faith in him, you'll last forever under his love, knowing him, being with him for eternity. But if you haven't repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ with your life, you will spend eternity instead being, uh, 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 making right, enduring God's wrath for your sin in hell. And that's an expression, by the way, we don't have time to get into it, but that is also an expression of a loving God punishing those who don't trust him. I know that sounds bizarre. We can get into it another day. But so how does all of this relate to purpose? That's kind of a really long introduction, isn't it? How does it relate to purpose? Well, here's the deal. If you're gonna last forever, do you know what you need? You need a purpose that's more than just on this earth. If you truly are gonna last forever, then you know what? You need a purpose that's eternal. You you need a a purpose that doesn't run out. Or guess what? It's gonna be fleeting too. Because someday the paycheck will quit coming. Someday uh, you're not gonna be able to run the the 40-yard dash let alone in whatever time. You're not even gonna be able to walk it. Like, like it's running out. You're, you're, what's your purpose? Your career is gonna come to an end. Your, your life on this earth is gonna come to an end. Your purpose has to last longer. It has to be eternal as well. So what is it? Well, if you wonder, if you wanna ask that question, see, that's our third question then, the question of purpose. What on earth am I here for? And that's the question of the day. And you're not unique in struggling with that question or asking it. There's a guy by the name of Paul in the Old Testament. And uh, Paul struggled with this question. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, we read about the Apostle Paul striving to know and fulfill his purpose. And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you should know that, that you should know a little bit about Paul. You should know about who this guy is. So uh, as we read this passage, you're going you're gonna to get a description. We're going to look at his words of who he is. And then we're going to get into the meat of where we're going in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. But we're going to start in verse 1. And you should know this. Paul was a successful man. He, he, was, he was successful uh, in the world's eyes. He was a devout religious scholar. He was incredibly intelligent. He, he, had, uh, he studied at the feet of, uh, of, of one of the most renowned rabbis in, in all of, of Israel, and all of the Jewish community for that matter. He was a Roman citizen. He lived in at the time which what was the most prosperous and powerful uh, empire in the world. He had a lot going for him. Uh, look at Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul says, finally, my brothers, he's writing to a church in Philippi. He says, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, because he'd written this multiple times already in the book and uh, probably at other times had said it to them. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Just a little side note, isn't that? I think that's really curious that he says to rejoice is safe for you. 
That word in the Greek, literally, it means like a guard, a safeguard. The Christian Standard Bible, I think, is a better translation. It says, and is a safeguard for you. It's like a guard. It guards you. It guards your heart when you rejoice. Um, See, I mean, you got a choice as you get older, right? Rejoicing, I believe, is a choice. And you can either choose to get old and crusty and bitter. Bah humbug. Or uh, you can choose to rejoice and that safeguards your heart. It guards you. But then he says this. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, Paul's not, Paul's not talking about literal dogs, right? He's not saying, hey, watch out the guy down the street, three houses on the right. Watch out for his dog. It's not on a chain pedal fast when you go past his house. He's not saying that. He's comparing, he's calling people dogs. He he says they're evildoers. He says they mutilate the flesh. Who are these people? Well, do you know who they are? They're religious people. Paul's talking about religious people. Now, religious people are the worst in terms of just your joy. And that's what rejoicing guards you against is, I believe, religious people, in this case, Judaizers. But they're always more concerned with that uh, someone uh, follows the rules than they are with that they actually know Jesus Christ. They're more concerned that they always get it right according to this uh, strange standard than they are according to the grace of God's word and of his gospel. In this case, he calls them mutilators of the flesh because the Judaizers, Judaizers were demanding that people be circumcised even if they, uh, after they became a Christian, if they really wanted to follow the Lord, they had to, really, they still had to be Jewish, is what they were saying. They had to follow these rules. And uh, it's, it's, no, it's not helpful, is it? I hope you're not a dog. Because do you notice Paul says, if, if you are, if you're somebody who holds people to all these rules that, that really aren't in God's word, he's not talking about the rules of God's word. He's talking about extra rules. If you're holding people to all these things, you're, you're an evildoer, he says, this isn't me. This is what Paul says, right? Paul calls people who burden others with rules evildoers. I'll just say this. Learn to, tr- learn to test everything by the gospel and the words and character of Jesus. Uh, if somebody, as I said, is always kind of crusty and not rejoicing and always full of religious rules other than what the Bible commands, they've, they've already failed in these first two verses of Philippians chapter 3. He says, for we, verse three, we are the circumcision. We're God's people. Well, who? Uh, The ones who worship by the spirit of God and who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Religion puts confidence in rules. Now, Christians put confidence in Jesus having already obeyed all those rules for you and in his grace. Though I myself, Paul says, just in case you want to talk about uh, keeping rules, I myself, I have reason for confidence in the flesh also. Because if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, let me just tell you, I have more. I have more. I've done more, Paul says. Now this is about to get good. Paul's about to uh, tell how strong his religious resume is. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Do you know that it was Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 12, verse 3, that after a male son was born, on the eighth day after he was born, he was to be circumcised to mark him as one of God's people. Paul's like, check, got it. Number two, he goes, I'm of the people of Israel. Okay, sure, Paul, but 
No, 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 no. I'm not just of the people of Israel. I'm, a, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Like my lineage is so good. I can go all the way back to the tribes and I know what tribe I was a part of. They like get on ancestry.com, check my DNA. Trust me, tribe of Benjamin, it's who I am. He was an ethnic Israelite and he knew the tribe from which he came from. And he said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. You ever brag that one on somebody? That's me, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. This probably indicates just again his descent from Jewish ancestors, but some think it might also mean that he was bilingual, that he also spoke Aramaic, some scholars think. But then he says this, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. In in Acts chapter 23, verse six, Paul also says that he was the son of a Pharisee, that his dad was a Pharisee as well. And do you know who the Pharisees were? They're not so very fair, you see, the Pharisees. But the Pharisees were were religious people who took it to the extreme. Now, they they probably arose during the intertestamental period before uh, about 100 to 150 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And they were responding to a culture uh, that was, um, uh, by all accounts, ungodly. And different groups of people from the Essenes who kind of isolated themselves to the zealots who wanted to fight culture to the Sadducees who kind of uh, uh, assimilated with culture and became like the culture to the Pharisees. You, honestly, in the beginning, the Pharisees were, were a pretty good bunch because what the Pharisees did as it related to culture is they said, you know what? There's certain things that we have to reject about this culture because it's just evil and wicked. But... Um, we're going to get as close to that line as we can in order to be part of this culture and to love people and to care for them. And so they kind of set up a fence where they said, we we can't cross this according to God's word. But here's what happened over time. That fence went from where it should be farther out. And they started adding more rules and more rules and more rules to where they just kept pushing people further and further away. And in doing that, they created this bubble that they lived in to where unless you followed all of their rules, not just the 613 in the Old Testament, but also all the rules of the Pharisees, uh, boy, you were in a lot of trouble. And Paul says, I'm part of that group of people. And you know what? I kept all of those rules. Not just the rules that God had for me. I kept all of the man-made rules too. Now, some of you, you've come from a church that was like that. You've come from a church where uh, growing up or uh, even after you grew up, there were not just the rules of scripture, but there were rules upon the rules upon the rules. And at some point, I'm guessing if you're sitting here, you probably got to the point where you said, where's that in the Bible? Is that really true? Because our final authority, God wrote a book, right? Uh, God wrote it all down. And anything that his word teaches, we're to obey it and all it teaches and, and, uh, and believe it and, and all that it promises. Uh, but beyond that, there's freedom. And, and Paul was a Pharisee. He was like, I, I went beyond that. I kept all of these other rules. He goes, look at this, verse six. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. I was so zealous, I persecuted those who didn't follow all the rules. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. I kept every one of them perfectly. Could you ever say that about yourself? 
I mean, Paul had a lot of critics. He had a lot of people who knew him and followed him. And that tells me for him to even be able to say that, he, he probably was pretty blameless. I don't know anybody who would say that other than a politician. But Paul said it, and I think it was true. But whatever gain I had, he said, you know what? I, I counted all his loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish. That word, by the way, rubbish, it's not like just your trash. It means refuse or waste, like human or animal waste. He's like, all of my good works, it's a steaming pile. That's what he's saying. Wow. It's pretty strong language. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, in other words, from all these other rules, but, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, not on me, is what he would probably add in there. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's like, if, it's, if it was possible for me to attain all of those things through my good works, I would have. And so by any means, I need Jesus Christ. I need faith in him to receive this. So let's get back to our question today. What's your purpose? See, I think in these next verses, Paul begins to ask that of himself. See, to fill in the blanks here too, just quickly, Paul, uh, previously to becoming known as Paul, his, his original name was Saul, and he persecuted Christians, and he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. You can read all about this in Acts chapter 9. And uh, as he's going, a bright light appears. Jesus appears to him. He falls down blind off his horse, and Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Then he gives him a new name, a new identity, and tells him to go live that out and serve him and honor him with the rest of his life. He gives him a purpose. See, Jesus is, is Paul's creator. He's the one who gives him purpose. See, look at verse 12, and I think this answers our question then of our purpose. He goes, not that I have already obtained all this, not that I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I strive to be perfect, though, because Christ Jesus has made me his. He's made me his own. There's the key. There's two aspects of you knowing your purpose. The first is that you are called to Jesus. Called to Jesus. You're called to him. Paul was called to him on that Damascus road. And what happens is Paul becomes a Christian and Jesus gives him a brand new name, a brand new identity, and gives him a purpose to go uh, be a minister to the Gentiles. He gives him this purpose after he gives him a new identity. Do you, do you want to know your purpose why God created you. You know what the first thing you need to do? You've got to be a Christian. You've got to come to know Jesus Christ. You've got to put your faith in him because your purpose and what you do is going to flow out of who you are. And the first thing God is calling you to do is calling you to Jesus, to trust him, to become a Christian, to make you new and to give you a new identity. And if you've never done that, this, this search for purpose is going to be fleeting for your entire life. And one day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize, you know what? I remember hearing 
that guy uh, that one time at that one church talking about that I needed to trust Jesus. Oh, man, I, I should have. He was right. I'm telling you, God's word says you need to trust him. You're called to Jesus Christ. The Bible sometimes describes your purpose as your calling. That's why I use that word. Your calling is what flows out of your being. It's who you are, and then it's what you're called to Jesus. Now, now how does he give you purpose? Well, he's your creator. Did you know in Colossians 1, it says that Jesus is the one who created all things? I use this illustration a lot, but uh, kids, how many of you have drawn a picture for your mom and dad? How many of you have pictures that you've drawn? Some of you have pictures you've drawn that are hanging in my office. How many of you have drawn some that are hanging on your fridge at home? Or have at different times, right? Have your parents ever come to you after you draw that picture and then they ask you, hey, what, what is this? Can you tell me about it? Did they ever do that? Now, why is it that they ask you? Because you're the one who drew it. Who else is gonna tell them what it really is except for the, the artist? Listen, if Jesus really made you, who else is gonna tell you who you are but the creator? You're called to Jesus. You need to go to him. You need to go to him to find out your purpose. So that's the first part. And Paul tells us that in chapter three, verse 12. He says, see, I, I strive to make all things, these things my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. He, he saved me. He's redeemed me. He's made me his. He says, brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I've told you many times, God is a forward-facing God. He's, he's learned from the past, honor him, but in the present and in the future, he's moving forward. He's changing you. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul's like, I, I know I'm his. I've been called to him and I'm pressing on to make it my own. Sounds like a guy who's pressing on to fulfill a purpose, isn't it? So if your purpose first is to be called to Jesus Christ, do you know what the second piece is? It's to become like him. It's to become like Jesus. Like, oh, come on, Josh. I, I wanted like the three point. This is the, this is the plan for your life. Well, it, this is it. You, you were called to Jesus and then you're called to become like him. And anything extra to that, if you're doing those two things, you're fulfilling his purpose for your life and you have total freedom then to make decisions. It's a great, great thing and a great freedom. You're called to become like him. Uh, look at Romans chapter eight with me, verses 28 through 30. The same guy, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. <coughs> Excuse me. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, remember we saw that in Ephesians, uh, before he created anything, he, he loved you. And he created you, I believe, to love you and so that you would love him. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Now, what did he predestine you if he loved you, if he knew you before? What did he predestine you for? The answer is right here. You want your purpose? It's right here. To be conformed into the image of his son. He created you to become like Jesus Christ. Well, to become like him how? To become a God? No. To become like him in his character and in who he is, in his honesty, in his humility, in his meekness, in his goodness. 
See, the, the, the goal for your life is to continually take that next step of obedience to become like Jesus Christ, whether you're a brand new Christian or you've been walking with him for a long time. That's, that's your purpose. So let's just talk really quickly, practical application here, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. If you want to know your purpose, Jesus gives it to you, right? But the first thing you need to do then to receive it is to become a Christian, to become one of his, to turn to him in faith. And then if you've done that, uh, immediately you are his. The moment you trust him, you are his. You are. You're like, I don't know, but I still I don't feel any different. That's okay. You're going you're gonna to begin to grow to become like him as you study his word and spend time in prayer. You've you got to make that choice, though. So you've got to cross that line. Think about it. When does an apple tree become an apple tree? Excuse me. When does an apple seed become an apple tree? Anybody know? The moment it germinates in the soil. That very moment it germinates, it's a tree. It's no longer a seed. Did you know that? Well, when will you know for sure it's an apple tree? Because at this point, it doesn't look much like an apple tree. But guess what it is? Well, as soon as it begins to bear fruit, you'll know, ah, that's an apple tree. And uh, when does it bear fruit? After growing. In the same way, when is, uh, when is someone saved the moment that they trust Jesus? And when do you know that you're a Christian or know they're a Christian is as they begin to grow and as they begin to produce fruit. That's the purpose for your life. So become a Christian. And then here's, the, here's this part, then here's how you can produce some fruit and live out your purpose. You need to discover, we've talked about this before, we've preached a whole series on it, to discover your shape, Right? It's just an acronym to discover your shape. What are your spiritual gifts? Do you know if you're a Christian, you've been gifted by God with spiritual gifts to, to love him, to serve him, and to serve others in the church? You have. It's really clear from God's word. You have gift, and I think plural. You have gifts, spiritual gifts that God has given you. Have you discovered what some of those are? I would encourage you to do that. Um, what's your heart? There's the H. What are you passionate about? God's given you certain passions. You have some passions I don't have. I have some passions you don't have. That's not by mistake. And you shouldn't assume that everybody else has your passions, and I shouldn't assume everybody else has my passions, right? That's part of what creates this kaleidoscope of God's people that's so beautiful. And then what about your abilities? What are you good at? Some of you are really good at things that I am awful at, and vice versa, and the person next to you. What are your abilities? What are you good at? What, what's your personality like? There's the P. How do you interact with other people? Some of you, uh, you if you had the choice between um, meeting a thousand people and having a thousand friends or knowing one other person that you were really close to, you would pick that one person all day long. Some of you, if you would uh, rather be hang out with one person in a room or with a thousand people, you'd be like, dude, that's going to get so boring. Give me the thousand people right? That's your personality. That's how God's created you. That's not a mistake. Every one of us is different. It's good. And then what about your experiences? Do you know that there's good things and bad things that you've experienced that God's allowed you to experience so that you can use those then to fulfill your purpose, to, to love and care for other people? Go read uh, the first chapter of Second Corinthians. Paul talks exactly about that. What's your shape? Do you know it? If you want to know your purpose, figure that out. And if you go 
You, you can go to wawaseebible.com backslash shape. And there's a whole series of teaching there that we did a few years ago if you wanna learn more. There is uh, some assessments you can do. There's a spiritual gifts one. If you click it, uh, a, a PDF will download. I checked it this morning. A PDF will download that you can fill out. And it's not perfect, but you can figure out your spiritual gifts. If there's a thing for your, your abilities and inventory and for your personality and some things you can do that will help you discover those things because we want you to live and become more and more like Jesus Christ, uniquely how he's created you to be. Amen? Let me pray. Uh, we're gonna take our offering and uh, uh, then we'll call it a morning. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. And thank you, Jesus, that uh, you give purpose. Uh, Lord, it's true that apart from trusting you and turning to you, it's, it's impossible really to know what we're on earth for and, and why we're here because you created us. You're the one who defines and gives us our purpose. I pray for those who are here today, Father, that uh, you, would, um, you would guide them toward your son. You would guide them towards trusting him, becoming a Christian if they're not, uh, repenting of their sin, and turning from their keeping of rules to their uh, trusting your grace and that Jesus has already done all of that for them. And then I pray for all of us who have trusted you. Help us to know, uh, one, to grow to become more like you, but to know who you created us to be to discover that shape and that uniqueness of how you've made us. And then to live it out because as we know those things and live them out, Lord, there's great joy. And Jesus, you've come to give us great joy. Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your coming and uh, celebrating that this Christmas. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.